Welcome to the Vine Podcast. This is Warren, and once again today I'm joined by Rachel and Jason. Good morning, Rachel and Jason. Hey, good morning. What's up, y'all? It's good to good to be back with y'all today. It feels a little um we've we've switched to kind of an every other week recording schedule now. So it had been kind of a weekly routine, and so now I've got to kind of get back in the the flow of it. I feel like now that we're doing it every two weeks. So yeah. So hopefully we'll we'll get into it and and have some good conversation today. So thank y'all for for jumping on and and spending some time with me. Absolutely. Uh, so so we're going to we're going to spend some more time, kind of as we've done. I guess we've done this a couple of times previous now, where uh, we're going to take a look at kind of a Another look, more conversation at the last two commands or last two words that we've looked at in our 10 words series that we've been going through on Sunday morning. And that's what we've been doing in our our classes uh, and in our sermon time. And yet we have, I think, found already there's, there's still been more to dig into. And I think it's part of the benefit of, of spending extended time kind of in one place is that you really do get to to dig into the different layers that exist. And I know there were at least a couple of things in each of these commands, each of these words that that kind of didn't make it into the stuff that I was planning to share or thought about sharing. So I've got some some uh some stuff from what I call the cutting room floor of the the sermon process uh to share and then Rachel and Jason if y'all have anything to add, we'll we'll talk through some of that, maybe some questions that have come up about these two commands or, or things we've thought about, things we've found interesting, all that type of stuff, just as we've kind of done the last the last couple of episodes. And so to begin that, I want to start with something that I think we've talked about um, maybe in one of our previous podcast episodes. I think maybe we did this at the beginning, but I know we haven't really covered it in kind of the sermon space. But so the last two commands, though, were honor your, your father and mother and then do not kill. And for the, the first one, I wanted to start off with this idea of kind of the breakdown of the, the Ten Commandments themselves, because I think it, it, it leads into the conversation about honoring your parents in, in what I think are interesting and perhaps relevant ways that we didn't really get into in some of the discussion on Sundays. And, and that is that there is this, um, there are different thoughts about kind of, you know, the, the two tablets. And because the, the law was recorded, the, the Ten Words, the Ten Commands are recorded on these two tablets, and there are different thoughts about whether that's two copies of the same thing, whether there's ten on each, whether they're simply divided five and five, whether there's four on the first one and six on the second one, because that would seem to divide it up with the ones that are kind of related to God, and then the ones that are related to how you treat other people would be four and six, is what some people say. Some people even say three and seven, which gets a little a little out there for me. Um, but all these theories about kind of how those are broken up. And personally, I've come to kind of like the idea that they're 10 and 10. It's one copy. One copy is kind of God's copy for the, uh, the covenant, if you will. And then the other copy is for the Israelite people. But where I think that conversation gets interesting is that some people, whether or not, however you see the tablets divided, some people see them divided up, like I said, four and six, where the first four are about God and the next six are about kind of your interactions with others. Some see them as five and five, 
And, and the interesting thing about that to me is what the, the difference there depends on how you kind of classify this command about honoring your parents. And, and so if you divide it up five and five, that would put this command about honoring your parents with the first four commands that are connected to God and how we worship God and how we relate to God. And what I like about that is that it, it connects the way that we think about and we treat our parents to how we treat God. Uh, and so I want to think about that for a little bit uh, today because, Jason, I know you, you taught that, that class about honoring your parents. And I, I was able to listen to some of that class, but not, not all of it. And so I'm wondering, is that something that y'all kind of talked about in class or something you have thoughts of about how it may be connected, the ways in which we we honor our parents and the ways that we think about our relationship to God. You know, that didn't really come up in the class very much. I mean, I see the, um, I see the connection there. Um, and I think for a lot of people for whom, um, uh, there are, you know, very direct and obvious parallels between, earthly parents and, you know, God, the father, I think that that is a a pretty significant line of connection there. Um, Especially, I think people who have lived very difficult lives, maybe didn't have very healthy or functional uh, earthly parents that, um, and especially who have experienced a lot of distress and trauma in the world, there is a, a very clear correlation in their minds uh, between, you know, the quality of, of parent they have on earth and kind of their perception of God. Um, and for those people, the, the idea of honoring your father and mother is a very much a slap in the face in many ways. Um, and I think that it also speaks to the challenge that a lot of those people have in cultivating a healthy relationship with God and, and really seeing God for, for who God is, um, you know, being able to accept the grace that God provides. Um, and, and it's a real challenge to reconcile goodness and faithfulness of God with the lives that they've experienced. Um, so, so while that didn't really come up in the class conversation, um, I do think that that's a, if we want to better understand how other people hear and experience the scripture, I think that is an important um, topic to explore. Um, and it doesn't, it, it's not very neat and tidy, you know. Um, we want to think that having this image of, of a mother and a father is something that is warm and comforting and the image of God as our father is very warm and comforting, but that's not always the case for all people. And so this, this command to honor your mother and father, um, it can be pretty difficult to wrap your head around as a, uh, as a, as a command of goodness rather than a command of, well, I, I don't know if abuse is st- too strong of a word, but uh, a command of trauma, maybe. Sure, yeah. Yeah, and that was something we talked about, just the different emotions that, that go into that command. And 
I think where it's where it's relevant and important, I think, to the background of the command is that there there have been these rabbinical teachings for for centuries, really, that um, that there is this connection between how I treat my parents and how I treat God. And so, for instance, in one kind of there's a rabbinical writing that that says there's a thought that when a person honors their mother and father, it is as if God is saying uh, it is as though I were living with them and they honored me. And then as another rabbi wrote, this was centuries ago that a rabbi wrote, father and mother should be honored as God is honored because all three have been partners in thy creation. And so that idea, I think, at least in kind of some um, rabbinical thought, is common that, that there's this creative force and element both to our parents and to God that kind of puts them in a, a similar position and seat of honor. And, and so I wonder if for some people, like if, if I've got, if I struggle to honor my parents because of the, the type of people they are or what they've done, like maybe that's at least one place of connection, right? Of, well, I can honor them. At least they gave me life. Um, and as, as I think y'all did talk about in, in the class, that doesn't necessarily mean I have a warm, loving, fuzzy relationship with them. Um, maybe it's honoring from a distance, but maybe that could at least be a point of of connection uh, or something to ground that honoring to for those who would find this to be a struggle. Um, and so I think there's relevance and important to the background of this command, thinking about it that way. I think where it's relevant for us today is I do think it's this reminder that you, cause I think you can extend that out then beyond parents. And I do think we still find it true today that oftentimes my love for God is going to be seen in the ways in which I go about loving other people. Um, and my, the way that I honor God can be seen in the ways that I am honoring other people. And, you know, and, you know, you, we could turn to all kinds of scriptures about that, about, um, you know, Jesus talking about that others will know we're his disciples by our love, um, about just countless places where it talks about, you know, love of God being seen and in, in how we go about caring for and, and loving others and, and serving others. And so I think that that concept kind of carries over into a lot of our relationships because, and that's where I think it, to me, it's relevant to think about that fifth command of honoring our parents as connected to the first four. Uh, and really that all of them are built on that, that I'm going to care about other people. I'm going to honor other people. I'm going to honor, honor other people's property and their stuff and my own stuff. Uh, all of that is true. If I can get those, those first commands about knowing God's place and relating to God well, all of the rest of that just kind of flows out of that more easily, I think. Rachel, I'm curious to know. So, Rachel, you've been um, you've been teaching a lot of these with our with our kind of youth teenagers, and then also in children's church with with kids. I'm curious to know uh, from your perspective. Maybe you could share with uh, our podcast listeners, who I'm guessing are mostly adults. <laughs> what was the What was the honoring your mother and father conversation like with with the younger people in our congregation? Yeah, we talked about the ways in which we honor our parents and especially with youth distinguished between obedience and honor, um, that obeying our parents is actually conditional, especially as we get older, but honoring them is not. 
And so obedience is not required when parents are turned away from God um, or tell their children to do things that are not God honoring, but honoring them is unconditional. So that would mean that you speak highly of them, that you don't say bad things about your parents to your friends or to your peers. Um, So we talked about the different ways that we honor our parents in our speech, the things that we say to our parents and the things that we say about our parents and our actions, the way that we treat our parents. and, um, And we talked about listening being good listeners to our parents and um, caring about the words that they say, not just assuming that they don't know anything because they're old, <laughs> uh, but they don't understand what our lives are like and those kinds of things, but real, but valuing the fact that they gave us life and they love us. And so whenever they share something with us, it's because they care about our well-being and they love us. Um, and so just honoring their words, respecting their words, and holding those as in greater weight than the things that our friends say. Um, and we talked about being able to accept their correction and discipline, um, that that's a way of honoring them, just having humility before our parents. Um, and Hezzy shared a little bit about what it looks like in Kenya and just how even the cultures that we're in affect our perception of the level to which we think we're supposed to honor our parents and how the Western perspective is uh, a lot more, I guess, loose or a lot more um, lenient (laughs) than in many other societies in the world. Um, And so we we did give it a little bit more global perspective too. Um, So I think the the only concern that they had was kind of that part I talked about at the beginning of like, well, what if your parents are bad, you know? Uh, and so the youth really do like those conversations and those kind of what ifs, and we did explore that. Um, but, you know, I told them, as far as I know, all of you come from good families. And so like, we can entertain those thoughts of what if, but let's talk about what your lives actually look like in your homes. And how do you respect your parents who do know God and um, who do love you and are trying to help you have the best life you can? That's, that's really good. And and I think the, the, I think the uh, command to honor your parents is not necessarily an endorsement of their goodness. I don't think that I think I don't think that God is ignorant of the fact that we're talking about human beings here who are as flawed as anyone else or as flawed as you know any any other parent. And so that's why I think that we need to be able to separate honoring someone because of who they are versus recognizing the mistakes that perhaps they've made, whether or not they recognize those mistakes. And so sometimes honoring is learning from their mistakes so that I don't repeat those mistakes and giving them grace in that, you know, a lot of the mistakes that parents make, they make in in a genuine attempt to do right by them by themselves and right by their kids. Um, and I think that as we get older, we can look back on on the actions and the mistakes of our parents. And if we can have grace 
or, you know, extend grace to them and forgiveness, then I think that's a way of honoring as well. And granted that that's, that's difficult for anybody to do, let alone kids and teenagers who are struggling with, you know, just their own emerging identity for sure. Um, but I, I see that as being an important differentiator is that we're not honoring, we're not honoring them because they are infallible or because, you know, everything they've done is good or even because most of what they've done is good. We're honoring them because of the position that, that God has put them in in our lives and how we should um, kind of treat that position for ourselves. One of the things that was most interesting to me when I was reading about this command is how it was probably directed towards adults. So God is instructing adult children to honor their parents, um, which I think is the reverse of how we typically think about this command. We usually take the Ephesians, like, you know, approach it toward this is for kids. Kids are supposed to honor their parents. Um, and so with youth, we went through life stages, like we talked about early childhood, teenage years, young adulthood, older adults, when you have your own children and then being aged or being a senior yourself. And we kind of like talked through all the life stages. What does honoring your parents look like in early childhood? What does it look like when you're a teenager? Um, and I felt like they were jabbing with me on those first few. And then <laughs> when we got to like having your own children or being a senior or being aged yourself, I felt like they were kind of like, whoa, 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 that's too far. That's too far. Like, <laughs> um, like that's not something I didn't feel like they were quite ready to think about that. Um, that even they themselves will get to the point where they are an older person who probably has adult children. And how would you want your children or your teenagers or your adult children to treat you and to care for you? Um, And so we talked about how it's care also um, and just all the implications (laughs) of what that looks like. And so that was fun. I felt like that kind of helped them get out of a limited mindset of this to think through the different life stages that they might go through. Yeah, that was one of the things that I originally had in in the sermon for that week is that I think we do sometimes read that command as almost like almost like it's the children's uh the children's sermon of the 10 commandments <laughs> and like all these other ones like apply it to the adults and then this one is is like the one for kids, but for some reason we we shift it because it's about parents, but but yeah, it does seem like they were all written to primarily adults to the people as a whole. But, prim- but primarily to, to an adult audience. And then, yeah, Paul kind of flips it and, and applies it to children, which is uh, another example, I think, of where Paul, uh, Paul takes some liberties with how he, he interprets and applies some of the Old Testament. Um, and in, at times, I think we would say in a, current, in a modern context that he takes them almost out of context sometimes, or he, he modernizes for his own kind of readership, some of what we find in, in the Old Testament. At least that's, that's my thought and opinion. Um, but, but I do think that that makes for an interesting conversation, certainly with teens, of, of where, where does that line go of, of, honor, of obeying and honoring. And, and one of the things that I guess I hadn't really considered is just that that's probably 
that's probably even a more kind of nuanced conversation now when teenagers today and even preteens now you you have so much more information at your disposal than you would have had in the past or maybe in the past as a teenager you're still kind of getting the worldview from your parents um but but now that's not the case anymore you can get any num- you, you can get you know any perspective from the internet from school from whatever um and have very different views than your parents and and what does that line look like and and when does that shift that would be a very interesting conversation to have if you felt like your your parents weren't weren't serving you well or or where you disagreed with your parents or however you want to word that i'm even thinking about maybe like current conversations around vaccinations and what if you what if your parents were kind of very you know kind of anti-vaccinations but as a teenager you're reading and thinking and thinking man i this isn't the direction that that i think is would be best for me what does what does that look like and how does that go all those conversations would just seem to have much more potential now in in the internet age than maybe they would have even in the past well and, and as I mean, you, you could take that for a lot of different topics, right? Sure, as yeah. Kids get older, as kids get older, they have their own opinions. And sometimes those opinions are well-informed. Sometimes those opinions are very are, are somewhat shallow and ill-informed. Right. Sometimes it's because they read it or they watched a conspiracy video on yeah. YouTube and now they've yeah. got this. But I, I do think it makes that discernment process for a teenager, a young adult, much different now than it would have for like Moses's generation, right? Right, right. Where they're kind of, this is their worldview and you're just kind of following in your parents' footsteps, which would look very different in today's kind of modern context. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, you know, one of the things that, that maybe we could talk about too is, is what has surprised us for maybe this one or the next one for Do Not Kill. And so maybe this could be kind of a bridge between those because I think part of what was surprising to me about the honoring, honoring your parents' conversation was just I, I knew going into it that it, would be, that it would bring up a range of emotions for people. But I think you heard that in a lot of the comments, especially that were made in class, Jason, and just in comments that were made to me personally afterwards – of, of like, I knew that was a reality. I don't think I knew the extent to which it was a reality or um, I don't know. I don't even know if that's accurate, but it was just, that was to me kind of confirmed in a lot of the responses or comments. And, and just the, I guess what I kind of went into it kind of theoretically thinking this could probably be difficult for a lot of people certainly played out um, in a lot of comments that I heard and and I do think that just that makes that command uh, a tricky one for a lot of people. And and I don't know, you know, I think for some people it leans them really to kind of rely on and see God as really that parent type figure in a way that their parents aren't. Uh, I think for some it leads people to struggle with the connection to God because that language just doesn't connect in just the different ways that that impacts us in in kind of different ways. That was to me the kind of, I don't know if to say surprising, but but to me the thing that I noticed or felt the most in the comments um, with that particular command. Were there things that were surprising to y'all or that stood out to y'all either as y'all studied or or kind of in the comments that you heard from other people related to either the the one about parents or or we can kind of shift and move to the do not kill command? I guess like something 
um, with youth is that I get this sense that if they feel like they find a caveat to the rule, then we get to throw the whole thing out. And so part of what I feel like I've been trying to get at in this series so far is that these are these are the ideal and this is God's heart and God's intention. And much of the time it, it doesn't follow along those lines. But just because people have messed it up doesn't mean that now the whole thing is totally invalid because <laughs> um, they really wanted to talk about people in broken families and things. And so uh, we definitely did. But I felt like they wanted to be like, well, since parents are crappy, like <laughs> we don't get we don't have to honor them at all. And I'm like, nope, that's not it. <laughs> yeah, it, it, there is no indication that that God is again it, there's no indication that God is commenting on the quality of parenting or the the goodness or righteousness of the parents themselves. And I think that it's easy to read it that way, but I think that misses the point. Yeah, I agree. And that's that's part of why I wanted to bring up the kind of the the Israelites who go into the promised land into in um after their their parents die off in the wilderness. Like that's why mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of highlight them in that sermon mm-hmm. because yeah they they would have had all those complicated relationships probably with their parents too, um, and th- so that has always existed since this command has been given, and so there seems to be something else at play here that it is still as as Rachel said as a general idea um, and as a concept that 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 helps um, and and is, is even for our own betterment. Uh, there's a concept that's true and good here about honoring our parents. And that's kind of where I wanted to begin with the next one too um, in in the conversation about do not kill. Yeah, we can talk about exemptions to that or whatever else, but generally this is a true and good concept that it's not good to take take life. Um, And so let's, let's transition to that one then. And and uh, there's all kinds of, as we kind of said, conversations that we could get into with this idea of you shall not kill. Um, let's kind of start there with the surprising aspects of that one. As we talked about that in classes and, and in the sermon, what surprised you about that? What questions came up uh, for you as we kind of threw that one around? Well, you talked about this in the sermon, but I don't think I knew that this command was also about unintentional killing until studying it for this last week. Um, and I, I knew about the cities of refuge where if you kill someone unintentionally, then the community has provided a safe place for you, um, to avoid the continual shedding of blood. Um, but I didn't realize that the command includes kind of all types of, of killing, like unintentional and intentional. Um, and so to me, like that makes it more intriguing or more important because I think we all take it obviously, like we shouldn't kill someone intentionally. Um, but that if you do so by accident, if you harm someone accidentally, that that is still violating this command, but that the consequence is different and that you're given a safe place to which you may escape. And so I feel like there's, there's grace in that too. And that God's heart was to to prevent the the spiral of more and more violence. That that when there's violence, 
God doesn't want it to breed additional violence, um, that there's a way for that to be able to end. Yeah, um, I think the, the, the way you put it in the sermon, Warren, I think was very helpful in that it's not just about a prohibition of killing, but it's a valuing of life. Um, and that valuing life is about, yes, we're not going to kill others, but we're also going to take precautions that we don't unintentionally harm someone else's, you know, uh, livelihood or their well-being. Now, of course, there are going to be a lot of implications or that or a lot of conclusions that people can draw from that uh, assertion. And you discussed, or you mentioned some of them in the sermon, you know, you can look at, well, how does that impact a person's view of the death penalty, of war, of, um, you know, drunk driving, of abortion, of lots of different topics that are not specifically addressed, but you can kind of draw your own conclusions about them and different people will draw different conclusions about those topics. Um, but fundamentally, it's, it, you know, the, the command to do not kill is about recognizing the, uh, the beauty, the importance, the value of the life that you have around you. And um, I think that's, um, that's, that's a, a way to look at it that I hadn't really considered. And I think is, is valuable for me in going forward and looking at, um, how, you know, how I may implement this in various ways, uh, you know, in my life. Yeah. I think that was the most impactful for me in the reading is that this command is not just don't kill, but it's give life. Um, and so what are the ways in which we could give life? One of the authors, J. Ellsworth Collis, he wrote the Ten Commandments from the Backside. He said, in a world where so many casually damn, we ought very consciously to bless. We ought, that is, to make life longer, fuller, deeper, more exciting. And so when everybody else around us is just like <laughs> damning everyone else or harming others or hurting we make a conscious decision to bless. We consider ways in which we can make life healthier, um, better, happier for others, um, make the community safer and um, a better reflection of the kingdom of God. And so I think that's pretty much where we emphasized with youth is talking about murder of the heart um, and cursing and damning people or harming others versus giving life, um, being a life-giving person towards others, being someone that, that compliments people or someone who's kind or someone who is a peacemaker in a situation of tension. So we talked about kind of this one to me, like in our, our youth class felt the most practical so far. Um, the conversation really lent itself to like in the hallways of their schools and online chats and stuff like that um, more than the others so far felt like to me. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting because I do think you can certainly see, I mean, I think you could almost make that case for the last four commands that they are almost more practical in nature, right? That the, 
the first, especially maybe are more kind of theological almost. And then with honoring your parents, it's kind of, well, what do we mean by honoring? And is there a cultural difference there? And, you know, we could go on and on about all that. But yeah, these the last four is just kind of don't do these things. <laughs> um, and then as you play that out, yeah, that would include the, the practicalities of, okay, so what what should I do then? Kind of as I talked about in the sermon. And so yeah, that's interesting because I do think there is maybe just um, in the way that it's structured a little more of a practical side to these. And, you know, I do think that was one of the things, and I, I mentioned this in the sermon, but I think just to kind of talk about it a little bit more, because as, as Jason kind of alluded to, I do think this is this, the, the irony of this one to me is that it's the one that we would all say that we probably just by the letter of the law would would find the easiest to do on some hands not murder not murder not kill someone um, but on the other hand it does lead to the most controversy and kind of divisiveness of how do we go about applying it how do we go about valuing life and and I think there are obvious ones that we could turn to but I think you could really look as far as it relates to kind of social conversations and national policies I think that idea of valuing life and how does a nation go about doing that extends to a lot of our political disagreements. You, I think you could extend it even to something like healthcare. Um, you know, what, is, what does it look like to value life in that sphere? I think you'd extend it to questions of, well, whose lives should we value, right? Does a nation have the priority to, to value its own citizens' lives first, um, or would that extend to kind of all humanity? Um, and that brings up a lot of questions that certainly relate to our kind of current political um, questions and divisiveness. Uh, and, and so I think this just feeds into so many other ways that we think about life, both our, our own lives and kind of how we interact with others in a social construct, both within kind of our communities and within our nation. And, and it just leads to so many other conversations. Um, but I think it's, you know, Rachel, you, you made the comment when there's, when there's violence, God doesn't want it to breed additional violence. And I think one of the things that's been helpful for me kind of thinking about that is the concept that we have of even a law like the eye for an eye law or rule um, that we hear as almost like an, um, an invitation to extract some level of revenge that, well, if you hurt me, I, I am entitled to hurt you back. But, but really, that law was intended to, to curtail vengeance uh, because we tend to go above and beyond in vengeance. But God is saying, no, if someone harms you, then, then justice is equal in return, not going above that. Um, it's, it's trying to, in some ways, cut off kind of the, uh, the escalation of retaliation and violence um, and bring some level of kind of justice and um, and order to it. And but but the human our, our pro- proclivity is toward escalation and more violence and, and all those types of things. Mm. One of the questions that this one brings up for me is is nonviolence possible? <laughs> and so we have figures in our history, the ones who have actually stuck to a nonviolent approach have been legendary figures in world history. Um, so Jesus, I would say, is nonviolent. He gave up his life uh, willingly, and he told his followers, don't fight back, put your sword back in its sheath. We're not doing any ear cutting off here. 
Um, and we have, you know, Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. These figures who have led movements um, that in some ways were protests or movements toward the equality or ways that they were trying to give life to their communities. And the people who actually stuck to leading that non-violently have become these monumental figures in our history. And so are those people the exceptions? Um, or is this the way that um, that change is is possible and likely in our societies is is a nonviolent stance just attainable for humanity <laughs> generally um so that violence is the exception or are these famous figures are they the exception i don't know i, I that's a really good question um i tend to have a bit of a maybe a naively optimistic viewpoint on that to say that <laughs> You know, we we as people are not as different as we sometimes think we are and as we paint ourselves to be. And I kind of feel like if if it's possible for anyone to have that kind of nonviolent, more, you know, assertive, but in a collaborative and constructive way rather than a destructive way, if that's possible for one person or a group of people, then it's possible for all of us. Now, how realistic is it that everyone will come together in such a way as to implement that universally or in a broad sense? I think that's where the challenge comes in. Um, but, you know, on an, on an infinite timescale, uh, I, I don't want to dismiss the possibility of it. I can't, I can't eliminate the possibility of it simply because we've seen that it is possible regardless of who you are or where you come from or what your education was like or what kind of trauma or lack of trauma you may have had in your past. You can find examples of people from every single walk of life who have had success with that approach. And so that gives me optimism that humanity as a whole is capable of that um, you know, will it happen in my lifetime? Probably not. Uh, but I'm open to the possibility that it is achievable in some manner. Yeah. I think it also requires the ability to endure violence. Yeah. Because all of these people who are well known for leading nonviolent movements, they themselves endured violence against them. And and chose not to retaliate. Absolutely. Um, and that that's the lesson. That's the hardest. Yeah, that's part. the lesson <laughs> that we have to wrestle with. Is I have been harmed and violated and and uh, you know acted against. Like someone has been violent against me. What is my response? For whatever reason, the the instinct is to respond in kind or even to a greater degree like Warren was saying that our instinct is you know you hurt me a little bit I want to hurt you a lot and I see this a lot in relational counseling right I see this a lot with couples who come in and there's been this amplification of emotional pain inflicted on each other that well and when we start digging into it, well, yeah, I did this to her, but she had done this to me. And 
and there's this back and forth. And, and the point in couples work that I try to get them to is the point where they can say, I see that the pain that they're inflicting on me is coming from their own pain. And so that's where I need to respond. I need to respond to the pain, not the, not the hurt that they're inflicting upon me. And when couples are able to do that, that's when they're able to start healing, you know, is when they're responding to the pain of the other rather than the, the action and the destruction that the other may be inflicting. And it's tough. It's a hard process to wrap your mind around. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, I've, I've just pulled up. Uh, these are, according to this, this website that I'm looking at, um, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. identified five basic characteristics of nonviolent resistance. And so the first characteristic, I just want to read it because I think it's important. It says nonviolent resistance means neither cowardice nor passivity. Nonviolent resistors are not cowards, but strong individuals. It takes strength to resist the use of violence. If, however, resistors are nonviolent because of fear or because they do not have the means of violence, they are not practicing true nonviolence. Uh, also, nonviolent resistance is not a do-nothing method. It is only passive in that the resistor commits no physical aggression against the opponent. The method is passive physically, but, but strongly active spiritually. It is not passive non-resistance to evil. It is active non-violent resistance to evil. And I think those things are important because, you know, you can, you can read other thoughts of Martin Luther King where he um, at times almost endorsed riots um, that that especially if they were uh, causing kind of property damage, not loss of life or, or kind of bod- bodily harm, that, that his point was that, hey, if, if this other stuff isn't working, there may be a point when people are pushed to this level of, of response, and that's kind of a response to the system or, or what's in place. And, and those were kind of his, his thoughts on it. And, and so I do think some of it goes back to kind of, so what do we mean by, by nonviolence? But I think that idea that it is a, it is actually a great expression of strength to actively choose a path other than violence and retaliation, I think is, is something we have to remember, that this isn't a means of cowardice or weakness, but is a choice made to pursue another path. And, and I think of that a lot with the example of Jesus and, and Peter, because, you know, at one point, Jesus has this weird exchange with them about telling them to take swords with them, which I've heard people use as kind of defense of, of uh, taking violent actions at some point in self-defense or whatever. I don't think that's what Jesus was doing there. But, um, but when, when Peter swings that sword then and, and cuts off the guy's ear, I think one of the things that has helped me kind of envision that is that like I think Peter was swinging at the guy's head to cut his head off. The guy ducks and he gets his ear, right? Like, I don't think Peter's, we, I think I used to have this image of Peter like going up and cutting a guy's ear off, but like that would be really weird. And that's not how you would approach a fight at all. Like, I think Peter's going in just full fledged, like he's ready to kill people and go down fighting. And, and he just happens to get the guy's ear. Um, and Jesus comes in and says, no, 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 that's, that's not the show of strength that we're going to do here. And, 
and it's, it's, it's actively choosing another way. And I think the way that we have to do that, and Jason, this is something you've talked about in several of our conversations, because the fifth uh, characteristics of, the fifth characteristic of nonviolent approach here on this site begins with love is central to nonviolent resistance. And I think that has to be at the core of it, that, that so many times when we end up choosing violence, whether that's choosing violence in our words, in our actions, you know, whatever extent it is that we're choosing violence, it usually comes from a place other than love. Um, and I think, I think that has to be kept in mind. And, you know, this kind of uh, indirectly connects to the, the previous word of, you know, honoring your mother and father um, in a way that maybe I didn't expect in the sense that uh, it does have to come from a point of love. As you mentioned before, it's about valuing life, but it's also about loving humanity and seeing the good and seeing the, the beautiful in, in people who are flawed and, and who do wrong and are, you know, quite ugly at times. And so when we say or that, that God has commanded us not to kill and God has commanded us to honor our father and mother, that's kind of pointing towards what Jesus says as, as being, you know, in a sense, the second command, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, to love other people. Um, and that, that, that these commands are really fundamentally speaking to the same overarching um, call that we have in life in how we relate to other people. We're not going to kill other people because we love them despite their flaws, despite the pain that they inflict on us, despite the, the ways that they, you know, subvert God's will at times. And we're going to honor our father and mother, not because they're perfect, not because they're always right, but because God has put them in our life and, and they're God's children as well. And so those are, to me, you know, these, these, these are different manifestations of the ultimate command, which is to love each other. Mm, yeah. Rachel, did you have thoughts on kind of the question that you posed about whether these are kind of outliers or I don't remember exactly yeah. how you phrased it at this point, but. I think that you know, what we receive in terms of news and stuff is going to be the more extreme stories. And so we hear about murder pretty often. Um, I, I tend to hope that within humanity as a whole, we're caring for one another and we are honoring each other's lives and that children are respecting their parents. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping, <laughs> I guess I'm kind of like Jason. So I have that optimistic, um, hope that the nonviolent, nonviolence is not the exception. Um, this is actually the way that many people live their lives. Um, and the ones that I mentioned are just remarkable examples because of the implications of what they did. But I believe that especially within the church, the thousands of years of the church, there have been um, numerous people who have followed the peaceful way of Jesus. Yeah, that's good. And I do think one of the things that makes, you know, those three that you mentioned, uh, I think you, men you mentioned Jesus, Martin Luther King and Gandhi. Isn't that the third one that you mentioned? 
at the beginning of that question, Rachel. And I think, Jason, you may have kind of said this in some of your thoughts, but maybe one of the things that makes those three so extraordinary is that the level of opposition that they faced and didn't move away from those principles. And I think that's where it really gets difficult for us, that it's, it's sort of easy for me to choose valuing life when life is going well. It's easy for me to choose honoring my parents when my parents are honorable. Um, it's easy for me kind of looking ahead to to not steal or to remain faithful or whatever it is when like things are going well. But when things aren't going well or where there's when there's opposition, do I still believe these things to be true and good in those situations as well? Or do, do I begin looking for a way out at the at the first sign of pushback and and I think that's one of the challenges for us and I think that's what makes those three examples so extraordinary is that to the to the extent of ultimate opposition they never compromised on those principles and I think maybe that's the encouragement for us is so what do I do when the opposition comes and do I still believe these to be good and true um even in the face of that, that level of opposition. Well, that's, that's probably a good place for us to close today then. Thank you all for, for, for uh, digging into these a little more and in continuing to think about these, these commands, these, these words. Um, I would encourage others, if, if others are still listening and hanging around at this point in the episode, if you've got questions either about, especially about the kind of the next two that you would like to see us throw around or you would like to see answered uh, or talked about in conversation, um, let, let any of us know and we'll try to, to, to do some of that um, in, in one of the many formats that we're discussing these, these commands and words. Uh, so Rachel, you want to close us out in prayer for, for today's episode? Yeah, let's pray. God of peace, we glorify your name. We thank you for giving us these instructions that come from your heart on how we might live in peace with you and with one another. Continue to give us more understanding. Help us to ask uh, more difficult questions in order that we may be transformed into your image. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.